When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in to Brewcast for Amazing Brew on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I am Luke Yardy, joined by Stephen Osatowski here with you on October 4th as we head into Tuesday, October 5th. And, well, uh, we're obviously going to get into the Michigan-Wisconsin game here. Uh, we are obviously going to talk a little bit about Nebraska here this week. But as you uh, probably know, if you follow the site here, uh, it's going to be Stephen and I uh, just moving forward here for the foreseeable future. Anthony, obviously, uh, if you've been following along, has uh, taken another position uh, with another company. Uh, it's been, you know, it was a ton of fun to work with Anthony, man. Uh, we love him to death. And uh, we, we wish him nothing but the best for Brewcast. And as we do, we're going to continue, obviously, to do these Monday night meetings. Thank you for being patient with us going 15 minutes later. Uh, Stephen and I were obviously a- – Anthony ran everything on his end. So we just got some uh, trial run stuff that, that we're going through. So appreciate you guys being with us. And if it's a, a little bit different here, uh, well, then, you know, that's – it's for the time being. Just bear with us a little bit here, but uh, we're having a lot of fun. Appreciate y'all being with us here tonight. Already got the comments fired up, all ready to go. Steven, what's going on, man? How we doing? Doing okay. Doing okay. Figuring things out. You said uh, we're obviously going to miss Anthony. All the best to him in the future. See some comments. Um, Logan Evans saying Anthony will be missed and definitely reiterate that for sure. So, um, but you know, it's good to be here. We're trying out Google meet today. Okay. So we don't have the stream yard. We don't have the fancy setup. We're seeing how this works. We're probably going to bring something back for next week, but, uh, but we'll see, we'll see what, how this goes. And, um, I apologize that my face is bigger than, than Luke's face for this episode. I'll try to switch it up and, and make sure that Luke gets his, uh, his beauty time here on the, on the, uh, uh, on the live stream podcast, people won't get the, uh, benefit of that, but we'll, we'll do what we can do. But, uh, yeah, yeah man, what, a, what a game. I mean, to go in there, I, what, what year was it the last time that Michigan won in Madison? 2001. Oh my gosh. Where were you in 2001, Luke? Oh my goodness, man. I was, uh, I was nine years old. So that put me in about fourth grade, I think. Yeah. I think I was in third grade. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that, that was an awful long time ago, man. 2001. I don't even, I mean, I know I was a Michigan fan, but I, I don't remember much from, uh, from around that time period. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, and it was, it was a definitive victory too. I think a lot of people were ready yeah. to hold on to their butts and <laughs> go down to the bitter end. I, I predicted a 23, 20 overtime victory for Michigan and I didn't feel good about it. And it, to me, this feels like something that is, it, it's like consistently every week we see just like pump the brakes. Wisconsin isn't, you know, the, the juggernaut that, they, that they've been as of late. They have a bunch of offensive issues. They still have to solve. Mertz has been terrible. And even me, I was like, Mertz is just going to go crazy. He's just going to, he's going to dust off those cobwebs. He's going to go back. Was it the first game last year that he went something crazy, like 23 for 23 or something ridiculous? I'm like, that's the guy we're going to see. It's going to be terrible. 
Um, Blake Corum's going to forget how to run the ball. And it's just, and like, I just, I think most people kind of went through that thought process and it didn't happen. It didn't happen. So I, I was, I was happy on a lot of different fronts. We'll get into a lot of them, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, I don't think it could have gone that much better. Yeah, speaking to your point about Mertz, it's funny because I remember, you know, reading a whole lot about him kind of coming out into college as the best quarterback Wisconsin's ever signed. And I watched him in the Army All-American game, man. He was a stud. I think he might have won offensive player of the game uh, in that game. And I was like, man, they got himself a guy. And that's exactly – I went through your thought process there. I'm like, all right, he has looked really bad, but this is definitely going to be the week that he finds it. It's just what's happened to Michigan throughout the years, it feels like, you know. And even when Mertz went down, I thought Matt Wolf was going to Cardale Jones us or something, you know. It was like it, – it, it just never – you never get that feeling uh, of relief until they, they went up 31-10 and then we, we kind of knew it was over. But, I mean, at, at the end of the day, outside of, you know, the last couple of minutes of the first half, you know, that game was never really in doubt. Michigan, even even on the first couple of drives where they didn't, you know, get any points or anything like that, it, it felt like they were moving the ball a little bit easier than we expected them to. Did, did you get that feeling at all? Yeah, I mean, I think this was the first game where I can definitively say we have enough of a sample size on McNamara because he threw the ball an amount that, to me, makes sense, 28 times. There was actually one of the uh, – subscribers to the channel sent me an email and we were going back and forth on predictions on number of throws and and it was between 25 and 30 that's what felt right because say what you want about Wisconsin I don't think they're a great team I think they're a solid team that'll probably be bowl eligible I think they'll get there um but they have a stout run defense really stout Mm -hmm. run defense um both Notre Dame and Penn State really really struggled I think Notre Dame had three yards in like 36 attempts something close to that against the Badgers so that's the level of, of run defense that Wisconsin brings with their elite linebackers. So, you know, despite it not being a 350-yard um, outing on the ground that Michigan's used to, right, 112 yards on 44 attempts, that's not great, right? That's less than three yards in average. So mm-hmm. you're definitely looking to do better than that. But, again, Notre Dame had three yards total. And, of course, that's, you know, not adjusted with sacks. But even so, um, and, and I think – even Penn State struggled to put. I think they had something like forty something yards. So, Penn State, I, Penn State had like I think thirty some yards total in at one point in the third quarter of that first game. Yeah, it's a slog, man. So you're not you're not going to be able to run against that team, and you need you need the pass to to just mm-hmm. to survive to put up any points. So to your point, as soon as Michigan put up uh, ten points, and, and even when they they were up. Um, at the half 13 10 it still it felt like a game that was it should have been like a 28 to 10 game not a 13 10 game um so yeah I mean I loved the aggression on the first drive especially I think looking at the second half of Rutgers as soon as it hit fourth down on Michigan's own 35 or wherever it was when Michigan uh had Haskins kind of do like a goal line jump to pick up the first (laughs) down um but to me, it was just like, this is a continuation of the Rutgers game, right? If we're just running into this, we can't get the offense to just get enough plays to just settle in, figure out the rhythm. Just that's the thing that Rutgers, like the Rutgers game, the second half, it was just like, yeah, the offense wasn't good, but they just couldn't get anything going. It's just really tough when Rutgers was sustaining all those drives. I think it kind of helped that Michigan solidified the aggression early, was able to pick up some yards 
Um, and I think they, you could see that the offense was getting somewhere, even if it wasn't the first couple of drives weren't even producing points, but compared to what Wisconsin was doing, you're like, okay, this is, this is sustainable. Michigan's going to break through here a little mm-hmm. bit and their offense is able to get a couple drives. And then the special teams play all around just really created more favorable opportunities for the offense overall. And I think that was uh, a huge difference maker in this one, especially I do. I do want to talk about just get out of the way. I saw it in the comments. Someone said, uh, the squib kick, this is young pro. The squib kick before half is my only complaint. And I saw this a lot. Do you, I'm before I give my stance, do you think the squib kick was a mistake at, uh, like right before halftime there? So, yeah, obviously, you know, when, when you look at results over process, then it'd be an obvious answer. But even as a process over results sort of a way that I look at it, you knew what this game was going to be. And it, it was well, what we thought the game was going to be. You know, we'll get into it. I didn't expect Michigan to be up 38 to 10 at any point. But at that moment, you went down. You got the field goal before halftime. Now, granted, you probably don't expect Wisconsin to do what they did. But at the same time, with a 10-point lead, knowing Wisconsin is going to get the ball back to begin the second half, I'm a believer in, in that scenario, given what you expect Wisconsin's defense to be in the second half, that you minimize any mistakes. You you maximize the margin of error in that situation. So for me, with 27 seconds left, that means kicking it deep, putting it in the end zone. Wisconsin at the 25, even if they, even if they don't start with a nine-yard run, like Wisconsin didn't even want to – go down and score anyway they ran on that first play and Michigan's run defense was you know kind of kind of lackadaisical gave up nine and Wisconsin's like all right we can get a field goal range obviously it turns into a touchdown but even a nine-yard gain from their own 25 with the timeouts that they have left it's they're not going to go for any sort of scoring I don't think with Mertz there so I think at that moment up 10 I think the right move would have been even with the you know knowing what I know now even without knowing what I know now I still think the right move would have been kicking it deep and taking the 10 point lead in the half. Yeah. I, the, the, the only reason that I'm a big fan of that squid kick is because everything you said makes so much sense. And I feel like that falls within the tendency of how Michigan was playing, right? There was a fourth down opportunity. I think um, later in the half that Michigan mm-hmm. punted on around midfield or something, which is very conservative, but to play, you understand with how Wisconsin's offense was going. Everything was leading to, yeah, there's like a minute left. Wisconsin isn't doing anything. They want to make sure Michigan doesn't get the ball back, kick it deep, whatever. So because of how much sense that made, I was such a big fan of the squib kick because it's like, (laughs) in what mind is Michigan going here? Like Wisconsin has nothing going offensively. So I get it. I get it. I get it that you put yourself at risk, but it was, it was only, they were at what, like 35 yard line instead of the 25. It's like maybe 37 yard line. And with how, how shaky Mertz was looking, you don't expect, you don't expect them to pick up like nine yards on first down, which they got, because you're right. If they don't pick up nine yards, they're just kind of, they're running out the half. That was really a see what we can get. And then if we're closer to midfield, try a couple shots and see where we're at. So you don't expect them to get that nine-yard gain. They haven't been running the ball effectively. I don't, it was one of their longer runs, probably third longest run of the game, I think. And then you don't expect Dax Hill to get beat in coverage. You also had two safeties high, and Brad Hawkins kind of lost his mind on that post route. I don't know what he was doing. You don't expect I, your 
like seventh year safety to make that sort of just like no play on the ball there and Dax Hill. I think, yeah, that was. I think that was a first concept or the guy kind of getting right behind him. Yeah, it it was really odd watching the film. I still don't understand what happened there. So then, like those things, those two things, Dax Hill getting beat, which he was actually in good coverage. He had a hand on the ball on that route, but having him and uh, Brad Hawkins not be able to make a play on that ball is like pretty astonishing. And then having Dax Hill again, beat in the end zone, you take the, the odds of those three plays happening in a row like that in that game. And it's like, you know what you get one, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. it's like, all right, with how that game was going, the odds of that happening and Michigan almost got that squib kick. So Michigan gets that squib kick potentially go up like what it would have been 20 to three if they would have recovered got a touchdown at the very least you know 16 to three with how uh, i'm not gonna give them that much credit since they couldn't score when they got it at the five that's know, fair that first half. that's fair but say a field goal 16 to three yeah, right. and that game looks incredibly yeah. different so yeah i get it i get it i get it the safe play could have been just kick it you know kick it out of the end zone 13-3, you're feeling really good about yourselves. And it, it gave them some life, right? It gave Wisconsin some life, so I get it. It was a team that was, was struggling. Pro- it was probably Merch's two best throws of the year, to, oh, to be quite honest. Oh, without with a you. doubt. But I love I love the go-for-the-throw attitude. That's the thing where mm-hmm. that, that first drive, fourth down call, um, and that squib kick, it's just like they're just really trying to kill this team, <laughs> like really demoralize them going into halftime. And I love it. I love that road atmosphere. And I think it kind of feeds into what we saw with the jump around. Um, yes. And I mean, even right after halftime, that's when Dax Hill just absolutely annihilated Mertz on that uh, on that blitz. And it just, the air, any air of momentum that Wisconsin had in that second half just got completely deflated. So I love it. I think aside from all of the play from both the offense and defense that we can point out, I think just the attitude of the coaching staff yes. and the ability to from start to finish, really just demoralize Wisconsin, I think is something that's really encouraging. I love that the talent is starting to see through, particularly on the defensive side of the football. Like, Aiden Hutchinson, uh, he, he was unblockable. I mean, you know, I, I think about the the time in the first half, you got a holding goal uh, called in. You, you went and watched the replay, and there's two Wisconsin offensive linemen grabbing him around the waist, trying to hold him back, you know. But we knew what he was to see Dax starting to play like we know we can to see David Ojabo just become an absolute star has been fantastic. And then even Chris Hinton in there, Mozzie Smith, a, a huge underrated play on that first drive, knocking the ball away on a tight end screen. That would have been a huge play. I mean, I would really starting to see on this Michigan defense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a big part is we haven't heard a whole lot about a guy like Mozzie Smith, I'm glad you brought him up. Chris Hinton, I feel like his name hasn't been brought up a whole lot. And when you don't hear the defensive line, the interior defensive line brought up a whole lot, it usually means they're doing their job, right? Like it's right. usually like um, you only hear about the defensive line if they're, if Michigan's just getting gashed up front. And this was, you know, not a Wisconsin offensive line that I think is has a guy like Frank Ragnauer. <laughs> You know, any of that level guys, but it's still good. It's still a solid offensive line overall. Um, They're missing some talent at at running back this year, which is the first time I think in Wisconsin history that I'll ever say that. But um, but I think it's very encouraging just to have continued week over week 
uh, success in multiple bodies because I thought Jordan Whitley was going to be a guy we really, really needed this year. You have a guy like mm-hmm. Mike Morris, again, someone I don't think is getting enough attention. Mozzie Smith, you mentioned him, Chris Hinton. Um, and then your your mop-up duty with uh, a guy like Jeter, a guy like Welshoff. Um, those are guys, and, and Upshaw as well. These are names that aren't necessarily brought up, but they're they're doing a lot of the work that is enabling a young guy like Junior Colson to really thrive. Uh, Nikai Hill-Green's having a pretty solid season. He wouldn't be in the position he is now without that. And Josh Ross had a really rough 2020. I think he's um, benefiting from it as well, getting a lot cleaner looks, a lot cleaner paths into the backfield. So um, that's just a really encouraging sign. They're playing with a lot more confidence, and um, they're making it really, really hard on opposing offenses to put together sustained drives, which I I really like because uh, in the past it just felt like there was always like a a back-breaking play and – I think Michigan is tied with Alabama right now for the least number of plays over 20 yards, which is insane. Wow. They're top five in the country in that regard. And that's, um, that's pretty phenomenal. That's how you win games because uh, even against, you know, I'll bring up Rutgers again, because that felt really bad defensively. Like it didn't feel good, but you still held them to 13 points. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, whether it's a performance against Wisconsin where you held them, what was it? 250, 250 total yards, 210 total yards, whether it's that or you're giving up more yardage to, to Rutgers, um, you're holding them to 17, 13 points. You're going to win most games if you're doing that in college football today. So um, scoring defense is what matters, and that's where Michigan uh, is continuing to produce week over week. So it's feeling less and less like an aberration when that's continued success there. Shout out our guy Venom22 in the chat here. He's a subscriber to the Days of Brew YouTube page. Make sure you go and do that as well. And uh, I want to uh, shift gears a little bit, you know, because there's a lot of talk about uh, the, the quarterback, you know, coming into this game, obviously. And, man, I think, man, for me, Cade McNamara answered a whole lot of questions uh, on Saturday, to be honest with you. Now, people are, are going to point to some missed throws, and I think that, pretty much every quarterback in America is going to have a few missed throws, man, because he, he had some great throws that, you know, obviously uh, the the couple on the drive, you know, the one to Eric all that set up the, the dying Cornelius Johnson on that second touchdown pass, the flea flicker. I understand CJ was wide open, but he led it perfectly. He never had a great stride. Didn't give the safety a chance to catch up to that ball. That was a beautiful throw. And I, I think what he did best, man, was he managed the game, didn't turn it over, but he avoided a lot of sacks, too. He, he was able to – I mean, sacks are drive killers at the end of the day, and he's been able to to kind of avoid those all year and to see him be asked to pass more, be able to do that, you know, in more drop-back situations and still be able to move the, the team down the field, man. I was very impressed with Cade McNamara on Saturday. Yeah, he, he is the epitome of why – why Michigan has, I feel like, such a high floor with him at the at the quarterback position because, like you said, sacks put you behind the chains and you're just put in really tough situations as an offense. Um, turnovers it lets a team like Wisconsin back into this game. Um, I mean, he just doesn't put the game at risk. Um, and it, it really feels closer to, like, an NFL style team with him at quarterback you you just feel really safe with the decisions he's going to make of course there are frustrations there are a couple 
there was the Dalen Baldwin crossing route that it's debatable. I think Baldwin should have stopped in the zone on his crossing route there, but that throw was behind yeah. him. There was a slant that was behind Cornelius Johnson. Even the Roman Wilson catch down the sideline on third and long that set up uh, a touchdown later on that drive. That was a little bit behind him as a stop and go for Roman Wilson down the sideline that if it was appropriately led would have been a, a wide open touchdown in the end zone. So um, even with those inaccuracies, listen, it's a collegiate quarterback. It's not going to be perfect. But um, the thing I like the most is I hated hearing the question. I, I try not to use the word hate because I feel like it's a, a strong word, but I really strongly disliked the questions about do they really trust Cade McNamara? Because when I saw them do the speed out to Roman Wilson on fourth and two, that showed me that they learned because on a couple other third and short, fourth and shorts, they tried uh, just a split zone up the middle um, and it got, it got caught the defensive ends and linebackers uh, for Wisconsin would cut inside um, either Ryan Hayes or one of the tight ends and usually for no gain and Michigan you know, found a solution and trusted Cade McNamara's arm on that quick out to Roman Wilson. That's a tough throw mm -hmm. to make too. It has to be quick, has to be really on time on single coverage. There's a window there, but uh, it's not a really big window and it has to be perfectly timed. And he did that expertly. It was exactly where the ball had to be really well timed. And it's a, it's a throw that Jared and Goff those, failed. And those plays cut down the field to a third. Like, it has to be absolutely perfect, and yeah. they trusted him enough to do that, to your point. Yeah, and it, it's the same. You watch the, the fourth and one play the Lions had in the red zone against uh, the, uh, the Bears this weekend, and it was the same exact throw, a quick out on a fourth down, and Jared Goff didn't make that throw. Kay McNamara made the throw. I'm not saying he's a pro, but I'm just saying that's a that's <laughs> it's a tough throw. It's a tough throw. And I love that he made it, and I love that it kind of, to me, kind of quells this discussion point of do they trust him? Yeah, I, they do. They threw the ball 28 times. He had uh, near 200 yards, got two touchdowns on two really beautiful uh, passes, and he got the job done. It was an efficient offensive outing um, against a pretty damn good Wisconsin defense. So I know, I and I, I do like that they got J.J. McCarthy involved. They had him on the uh, fourth down QB sneak. And the thing, the thing I really like about that QB sneak, Kate McNamara could have done that, right? It's just take the snap, burrow your face behind Andrew Stuber, get pushed from behind from Haskins and Sainer Stoll, you'll get in the end zone. But I like that they put J.J. McCarthy in that scenario. It's a hostile crowd, fourth down, big play, right? It was still when the game was still in question. Big play, you have to be able to calm your nerves, take the snap, just execute appropriately, and it's a big confidence booster. Staff trusts you to put you in that position. Um, can you execute well? Can you just, just go out there and be in that environment? Just feel that environment, harness that energy, and it, it puts him in that situation so that down the line, um, he'll be more accustomed to what that feels like, just the adrenaline and have that. Mm -hmm. So it puts him in a really good situation in a, in a low risk scenario, right? I think you can trust your backup quarterback to be able to take a snap and do a QB sneak, but it does more for him mentally than, uh, than anything else. So I think I want to get your take on JJ McCarthy's play overall and kind of like what you think Michigan should do. But I think just getting him in a few scenarios, um, especially that, that QB sneak is really wise just moving forward. 
Oh, yeah, I, I'd love to see him get some reps out there. And I think you actually had a really good tweet about it in, in the sense that, you know, there's a couple of things that, that he's shown he can run that read option, whereas Cade McNamara just I, – I don't know if – they're back to your point, you know, not kind of pun uh, not intended here, but, you know, the, the fact that they probably don't trust Cade to pull and read on, on some read plays like this, they probably don't trust his athleticism, you know, enough. He pulled once against Washington. I think that's the only time he's pulled uh, here this year on, on anything on some of those split zones you were talking about. But J.J. McCarthy had one where uh, I thought they kind of screwed him out of a first down, but it was about a nine-yard run over the sideline, showed off a little speed, and then, you know, your tweet mentions it, man. The guy can throw a beautiful beat ball, you know, like like he did to Dalen Baldwin, and that is – you can't when he comes in. You, you might think it's it's for sure going to be a run. You know we've seen packages all over college football that the guy comes in. You know they're going to run it. Not necessarily for JJ McCarthy. Uh, he can pull it down. He can beat you over the top, man. So I love that they've got two things and they're not rotating them equally because obviously you know the old saying: you got two quarterbacks, you don't have one. I get it, but this is if, if there are special packages that aren't going to disrupt the flow of the game, kind of like. Uh, McCaffrey did a, a few years back with Shea Patterson that, that kind of just disrupted the offensive flow. I don't think that's the case when JJ comes in, which I think they I think they learned from that situation and have been able to incorporate this one a little bit better. Yeah, I kind of I like that he's kind of putting together rapport with uh, with Dalen Baldwin. Both deep shots were to him. I, I'm glad that he's kind of getting involved there. And yeah, I. I it makes me really happy that it's not just a run package. You have to like teams will have to start thinking about like, okay, we might have to drop two safeties deep here because he might come in and throw a deep shot. Right. And that deep ball is pretty lethal. You, you look at that and it's like, okay, he has the capability to drop that in the bread basket. You can't throw a ball any better than that. And teams are going to like start thinking a, a, twice about bringing pressure um, in those third and long scenarios. So that's only going to make things easier for him when they ask him to actually read a little bit more. So it's something where I can understand people saying like, yeah, he has a higher ceiling, but where's his floor at? And right. you, you don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows at this point. Um, my theory is he's just not there in practice. He's probably still getting up to speed on, on, being as safe of an option as Cade McNamara. And again, this is a team that, and a staff, I think, that really prioritizes taking care of the ball, um, mm-hmm. managing the game. And that's just something that as a true freshman, it just takes time to get there. So regardless of how how bright those shining moments are, it's how, how bad can it turn really quick? And you just don't want to delve into that. So um, I think it's smart to take advantage of his skills, where if he's able to drop in a deep ball in one-on-one coverage, Throwing, throwing a go route to Dalen Baldwin, the downside of that, it rarely gets picked off. And um, it's something that really gives McNamara or McNamara McCarthy a lot of confidence. I think it really does. And then running the ball, yeah, it's something I, I bet they're just trying to protect McNamara a bit more on. Um, I think they understand that there's a lot of value in having two competent quarterbacks on the roster. And um, as they get McCarthy up to speed, I bet they'll continue to kind of incorporate him, get him a little bit more comfortable as time goes on throughout the season. Um, There's going to be times McNamara needs to run the ball. There just will be, but I just don't think they believe that it's necessary still, which infuriates me because why are you running these 
these split zone plays where the read is there and you're not keeping it. It doesn't make sense. But I truly think they just believe in um, the value of having your quarterback healthy throughout the season rather than picking up a, you know, extra five yards on one of these plays. I, I think they're, they're valuing that long-term uh, safety more than anything else, which I disagree with, but I can understand that. So, so we'll see, man. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're calling for JJ uh, to start this week, probably not going to happen. Probably not going to see it in the near future, but who knows? I mean, they have to be giving him game time, you know, non garbage time reps for some reason. So I'm not, I'm not shutting the door on that possibility yep. uh, moving forward, you know, down the line uh, by any means, but this is, I mean, this is going to be another tough test here this week, man. This is not the game that we probably thought it was going to be when we saw Nebraska lose to Illinois uh, we've seen Nebraska start to play some good football. They played Oklahoma tough, should have beat Michigan State at the end of the day, and last week they took it out on Northwestern, man. 56-7. to They had 427 yards rushing. I understand what Northwestern is, but, I mean, this is this is uh, all of a sudden a somewhere between competent and good Nebraska Cornhuskers team. Yeah, it's, it's one I'm honestly really excited for the defense. Um, the Rutgers game, I think, showed a, a lack of uh, – probably a lack of preparation for the option. Um, and Nebraska takes that to a different level because the difference, and I tweeted about it, Rutgers, when they hit the, the quarterback on the option play, on the read option, the quarterback would probably pick up a ceiling of eight to nine yards and it felt really frustrating, but, uh, Martinez keeping on the option is, uh, is a touchdown. He can make a house call on that pretty easily. And that's something that Michigan just can't live with. So, um, I think that was frustrating to me on the option plays. It seemed like Michigan had the bodies, just not the, um, the dedicated players per, um, per offensive threat. So if they had a inverted veer and the running back was running towards the boundary, there were three guys there kind of reading what the outcome was going to be, whether it's a quarterback keep or give to that running back heading towards the sideline. But they were reacting too late to the point where even if he gave it to the running back, uh, they were too slow in reacting. And that's where I do think in terms of what Don Brown's defense was good at is he had numbers and he attacked those option plays with quite a bit of aggression to where, uh, you're not reading anything that the offense is doing. You're attacking those players and you're assigned those players. So it's something where I think you're going to have to be a little bit more assertive in that regard than what uh, what Michigan showed against Rutgers because um, you can't live against this offense while re- waiting to read what they do because they run a lot of triple option and uh, their athletes are just too good on offense to to live that way. Uh, and they have some deep threats, man. I really like their FCS transfer from uh, Montana, um, Sam- Samori Torre, I believe, number three. Uh, I only know him because I drafted him in this uh, this little Big Ten, um, Big Ten fantasy league I'm in, and he's picking up big points for me. So he's a, he's a true deep threat, and I think he's a guy that uh, that Michigan uh, will get tested on. Um, for the corners, because that's the one position I think we we've seen a lot of positive returns on the defensive line. I've seen a lot uh, from the linebackers I'm enthused about. Obviously, mm-hmm. Dax Hill is there. Corners, seems like Vincent Gray's, um, you know, answered the call a little bit. Jimmy Green's been insanely quiet. I think he's relatively untested. A couple tough balls I think he got his hand on that still 
resulted in completions. So jury's still out is my point there because I haven't seen a, a lot from DJ Turner that makes me uh, too excited there. So it's a position I think is going to get tested um, for sure this week. And um, I think the offense will will still be able to score. I think the running game especially has a really good opportunity. Um, but, but I mean, you're right. Nebraska is where they're at right now, three and three. They are kind of similar to Wisconsin to me where – it would not surprise me if they rattled off three or four straight towards the end of the season um, after a tough start. And it, it's besides Iowa, the West big 10 West is just an onslaught man. And it wouldn't surprise me if Nebraska turned into that team that um, kind of snuck up on the big 10 West yeah. and ended up second in that division. Yeah. And, you know, the offense, obviously, that's going to present the challenge. We've seen them play, you know, very well. Adrian Martinez, a capable quarterback. But I'm also looking at this team. And since they gave up to gave up 30 to Illinois in week one, they haven't given up more than 23 in a single game. And that includes Michigan State, Oklahoma, you know, some pretty good offenses that have been able to put up points here this year. So this is this is another one of those ones where they answered, they answered the call in Madison. The offense looked pretty good, but – they're going to have to string together a couple of good road performances here. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be something where, and comments point out a really good uh, fact here. Nebraska is starting a true freshman at uh at offensive line, uh, their left tackle. So that's something where it's just going to be like, good luck. Cause yeah, right. <laughs> uh, with what Ojabo put on film, um, we know Hutchinson is just a menace that teams are going to have to continue yeah. to prep for, but with Ojabo emerging now, um, they're not going to want to test that. So that's why they're going to try to option the edges as much as they can. Read off of uh, Hutchinson, read off of Ojabo, put those guys in conflict so that you don't have to block them. Um, when it comes to the pass game, I don't expect them to hold the ball more than a three-step drop and throw. So really quick slants, uh, maybe some fades here to test the corners. I think it's going to kind of be back, like going back to um, in the past game, try to emulate 2020 Michigan State where they just throw up things really quick. I mean, if you remember that game, they were throwing the ball so quick, even when pressure was getting there or was going to be there, the ball was already out of uh, yeah. Rocky Lombardi's hands. And that's what Nebraska is going to have to do, honestly. They'd be stupid to do otherwise. So. It, it's going to be a game where I don't think they're going to test the interior at all, and they're just going to try to throw quick passes and uh, an option um, all of the edge defenders that Michigan throws at them. Um, and I think if they're smart, they'll run hurry up as well because having a fresh Aiden Hutchinson, having a fresh uh, Ojabo on the edge, Michigan has depth at those at, at that position with Jalen Harrell coming off. You got – uh, you got a lot of bodies that you can throw at that sort of edge rush scenario. So if Nebraska can really get going on that option game and get the hurry up offense to keep Michigan's defense tired, that's the success that Nebraska can find. And that's where Michigan has to uh, spend honestly all of their time in prep, just defending that, get them in, in long distance scenarios, third and six, third and seven, and you're going to win that game. So um, watching first and second down, First down, especially if you can hold them to two yards uh, or less on, on first down, I think that defense for Michigan will be really set up well. Otherwise, again, I think it gets really dicey, and um, and I don't know, man. It, it's it's the one thing where 
Uh, I think if you're, it's not an offense that is going to emulate Ohio state, right? Cause it's the first year Ohio right. state doesn't really have a running quarterback, but um, in terms of the tempo, in terms of like the competence of offense, you look at the rest of the teams on the schedule. It's hard to find one as dynamic as Ohio state. I think Nebraska comes pretty close to that though. Yeah. And then on, on the flip side, you know, I'm curious to how Michigan is going to attack this Nebraska defense, you know, cause we've been, we've been looking and comparing kind of at how Michigan state plays it. And, you know, for the most part, those first couple of weeks, you know, the way Kenneth Walker and Blake Corm were running, they were, you know, both having, you know, incredible success, but Michigan state just 2.4 yards per carry against this Nebraska defense. So you wonder is Michigan going to have to, to play similar like they did this past weekend in Madison to, to go in there and have some success? Or do you think they're going to be able to get some push uh, along that offensive line? Yeah, it's, it's a tough thing because I'm not really sold on um, Michigan State's offensive line right now. I think Kenneth Walker, early on this season, he he had one of the, like, he had like an astronomical missed tackle, um, yeah. <laughs> missed tackle uh, stat line. And that's obviously a good thing. You want your running back to be able to do that. That's also usually a sign that they're creating way more yards than they should. So I I honestly need to watch more of Nebraska's defense. I've been spending a lot of time watching their offense because I think it's their clear strength. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think the past two defensive lines Michigan's gone against with Rutgers with their slanting defensive line, um, with – Wisconsin's just stout linebackers and defensive line overall. I think it's going to be a run attack that gets closer back on track, not, you know, seven yards per carry, but I think, I think it's going to create a lot more favorable scenarios for the pass game. Whereas I think Michigan um, just had to lean more on the pass game uh, against Wisconsin, just as a result of the strength of, of Wisconsin. So, um, so yeah, we'll see, man. I, I think, I think it's, it's nice to have this past game because now we're confident. Yeah. McNamara is a little bit more confident on the road in a hostile environment. I don't like that. It's a night game. Nebraska's going to be fired up. Um, But I, I I think it's going to be a game that is closer to like four and a half yards per carry for Michigan. I I still think the offensive line is a plus unit, even though last couple games Mm. rough sledding, but I don't think Nebraska has like the athletes to, um, to really, uh, stalemate the offensive line for Michigan. I think I think it's going to be one where Michigan's uh, able to get enough push there to create more second and mid and, and third and short scenarios. Yeah, this is an interesting one. I think we, or at least myself and some other people, maybe even Vegas with Michigan open as just a one-point favorite, uh, maybe just putting a little too much stock into Nebraska sometimes in their you know performance against Northwestern, really the Oklahoma performance, right? in the sense that Oklahoma has really kind of struggled a bit this year, you know, uncharacteristically, specifically on offense. Like this is a game Michigan should be able to go in and push Nebraska around at the end of the day. It's, it's going to be a tough one though, because it's, it's not a game where against Wisconsin, you put up 20 points and you feel like you're going to win that game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But so it's one that I think is going to be, it's going to take longer for Michigan to really uh, like separate themselves in this game where it, the game kind of fell over against Wisconsin after Mertz went out, where it's just like, okay, they're just not going to be able to do anything here where with Nebraska, I feel like as long as they have Martinez in the game, like they can put up points pretty quickly. 
and it I think it's going to be a higher scoring game honestly I think this is one where um I think fans are probably going to be worried like the defense has reverted back to whatever where I think it's <laughs> it's honestly more of Nebraska's offense being good and and Michigan kind of the first time under this defense running into this high powered of an attack overall so um I I was surprised by the line I expected it to be closer to like probably five, five, I think I tweeted yeah. out three, but I think five probably felt closer to what I would have expected it to be. But, um, I mean, I think there's still like a historical thing going here where like, when's the last time Michigan has won in multiple hostile road environments. It's just not a thing that Michigan is known for. And, um, you know, luckily Michigan bucked that trend last week, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, Again, I think I think this has the makings of like a like a forty-two to thirty-one sort of victory for Michigan, but um, but that's hard to say, man, because I don't know if a team can put up thirty-one against Michigan that's with how they've played. That's the thing. And the thing is, too, like I mean, yeah, Nebraska scored last week, but you know, against Michigan State, sixteen against Nebraska, twenty-two against Illinois. Like they're they're capable of being high power. But they haven't really been able to, to hit their gear with a lot of consistency this year. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's, I mean, and, and of course, you know, the cynic in, in us as jaded Michigan fans would be like, of course, this is going to be the week they find that <laughs> gear, right? You know? But I think, again, at the end of the day, they've been more disciplined this year. Uh, and the, it, it's been great to see. And I think that's the thing that's kind of going to, you know, set them apart is they're playing with a lot of confidence. They're playing discipline. And at, at the end of the day, if you play discipline, I think they got the, you know, the athletes to, to kind of overpower, you know, this depressing team outside of Kyrie Martinez and a couple of those receivers every once in a while that you mentioned. Yeah. I think, I think they're going to break plays. I think Nebraska will break a few plays. Um, yeah. But Again, I, I like Michigan's chances on offense better than I did against Wisconsin, and Michigan still put up 38. So, you know what? <laughs> it's it's hard for like I would have never predicted 38 points against Wisconsin. Right. So it, it's it's always tough to say these sorts of things. Um, uh oh, our call ends in 10 minutes. Well then, I, I guess we we just got alerted that uh, that's our that's our cue here. Is we, we will uh, we got to do our final question here. The the question in okay. the uh, in the title here. Cue us up, Luke. What is the ceiling for Michigan football after the Wisconsin win, Stephen Ossetowski? Oh, I defer to the second half of this ten minutes. <laughs> Luke, go ahead. All right, actually the. <laughs> and I think I think this the ceiling for me was actually it wasn't necessarily changed. It was just kind of confirmed for me. And that is when I look around the college football landscape, at least with as it pertains to the rest of Michigan's schedule, is they can beat anyone left on their schedule. They can they can go into Penn State and win. I'm not saying that they absolutely will. I'm saying they have the capability, whereas, you know, last year we knew they couldn't. In 2019, I mean, they put up a far better performance against Penn State than I expected them to. I didn't think they could go into to Penn State and win that year. I think that they can this year. I think they can beat Ohio State this year. Now, obviously, I know it sounds like blasphemy. They can do it. Will they do it? That's another thing. The ceiling for this team is they win the remainder of their games. I don't think they can be on the same field with Georgia and Alabama, but 
I think the ceiling of this football team is that they can win the Big Ten. But again, like they did on the road as an underdog, they have to do things that they've proven through the first six years under Jim Harbaugh that they can do something that they simply have not been able to do. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. I'm I'm going to say the ceiling is a uh, – I'm between one or two losses. So, yeah. I mean, so, that's, that's the most likely scenario, right? Yeah. I, I think – I think Michigan's ceiling is a is a one loss team, and that and that's in, and that's including like getting to the Big Ten championship, which is a crazy thing to say at this point. Right. Um, uh, I'm not going to say undefeated because I honestly think between at Nebraska, a, an undefeated MSU right now, a Penn State, an Ohio State, and an Iowa. Honestly, one game, one loss out of that murders row, add in a Maryland, add in an Indiana, um, Northwest. And then if you, if you are able to potentially get to, to Indianapolis, you'd probably look at an Iowa team. That's what I mean. Lights out. Yeah. That's yeah. insane. I mean, right yeah. there, you're naming four top 10 teams. But right? I guess the, the question is, is in a vacuum, is there a team on Michigan schedule that they can't be? Oh, I, if Michigan plays as well as they can, I think they can go toe to toe. I think, I think they can, but just taking into account, I think a a game against Michigan playing their best against Iowa, Penn state, Ohio state, and Michigan state. I think all of those have potential to be really, really close games. And one of those, even when we're talking about ceilings, one of those just won't go your way. I think, yeah, that's I think totally fair. I think most likely is a three loss season. And even then a nine and three season yeah. is incredibly solid with this schedule. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, and I think two losses is honestly where I would peg this team. I had this team I, like probably looking at four losses as an optimistic take going into this season. So they're already surpassing what I would expect, but um, I still, I still think, so my original prediction yeah. was lose at Wisconsin, lose at Penn State, lose to Ohio State. I still think even with Wisconsin win, they probably do lose at Penn State and they probably do lose to Ohio State. But as a if the question is the ceiling, I think they're talented enough uh, across the board to, you know, in a vacuum win any uh, game against any team they play in the regular season. Yeah. I, I think my viewpoint is honestly going to change after this week. Because with how dynamic Nebraska's offense is, I think if Michigan can hold them to under 20 points or so, and the offense continues to build upon what they've shown the past couple weeks, or at least past week and season, I'm just not counting the second half of Rutgers, right? But but if they continue to build on the offense and their defense is able to appropriately keep Nebraska in check, that's going to go a long way with me a lot further than Wisconsin. I thought Michigan was a really good matchup for Wisconsin overall. I think they had, they had the passing game that they just hadn't needed to show at this point. And I think with Wisconsin's offense struggling, Michigan was just a really good match. Defense is something that now is the only remaining question, especially in the areas that Nebraska is going to test. If they can hold them to a reasonable yardage and point total, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be close to all in and, and way closer to the one one loss scenario than my current two loss scenario. It's 
there's a lot to there's a lot to play for in each one of these games and it's honestly like the strongest big 10 east um that i think i can possibly remember it's pretty wild when you look at the west compared to the east this year and i had a tweet that did very well because i was just dogging on the big 10 west and that's fun to do (laughs) but um but yeah i'm excited man it's it's nice to see the team playing with such confidence um i loved hearing last night that like jj mccarthy Donovan Edwards, yeah. Andrew Anthony were practicing after getting off the flight like some maniacs. Um, there was, I forget, I saw a tweet about like Aiden Hutchinson saying that like people are hitting the weight room after they got off the flight or something. It's just, it's just a team that like realizes that they're, they've got something and they just need to work a little bit harder to ensure they maximize that potential. All righty. Well, as we're running out of time here, Stephen, I'll let you know, uh, let you let everyone know where they can find you on social media, what you got coming up this week on the YouTube channel and whatnot. Yeah. At Stephen Toski on Twitter, uh, on YouTube, uh, like this video and I'll post some analysis tomorrow. So we'll see. I got 15 or 16 plays of offense. I'm going to be focusing on getting the, to those right after we wrap up here. So I'll post those on my Twitter play by play. I'll be going through 10 of those on Twitter and then additional six plays on the full video that you can find on the Mason Brew website. And uh, if you're a member of the channel, uh, you'll get early access to those plays on the full video. So head over to the channel, press the join button, and there's a, uh, a tier there that gives you early access to those videos. So expect at least one. I'm hoping to do defense. That'll come later this week as well. But um, as always, throw a like and subscription um, to the channel. And uh, if you really like it, press that join button. Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Giardi, L-U-K-E-G-H-I-A-R-D-I. And as Stephen mentioned, subscribe, rate, leave a review, especially subscribe to the YouTube channel so you know when we're going here on Monday nights and the other live content that Stephen is doing. Appreciate everyone who's a paid subscriber. You get a lot of cool stuff uh, with what Stephen does, obviously. And if you're listening on the podcast, you can join us live. Uh, We had about 150 people watching live, which is awesome, man. Uh, appreciate you all so much for coming in, you know, chatting, even even the Sparty fans that got in here on, on the action <laughs> infiltrated the comments a little bit, man. We appreciate you guys watching as well. So that's going to do it for us here on Brewcast. For Steven Ossentowski, I'm Luke Giardi, and we'll see you next week.